You're listening to the Forever on the Fly podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Forever on the Fly podcast season two of your bi-weekly dose of aviation inspiration, education, and entertainment. My name is Diane Dalla. And I am Jose. And yes, you guessed it. We're here to get you guys hooked, hooked on aviation. aviation. <laughs> wow, season two. Thank you guys so much for sticking around with us for season numero dos. We're so thrilled to keep this show going and to showcase some amazing and inspirational guests and to teach you guys something along the way. So, Senorita, you have a new gig? I do. Yeah, I'm going to be flying for a, a friend of mine just doing some corporate stuff and getting into an SR22 this week. Sexy. Yeah, doing a little fixed wing flying and guess what's coming in a couple weeks? What's coming? Couple couple weeks. An AS350, a B3E. What? It's <laughs> my favorite helicopter of all time, so I am really excited for that to get here. I'm excited for you, and yeah, I'm a little you. peanut butter jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be flying a B3E as well. Yeah, no, it's going to be so great because now I have some time to focus more on the nonprofit and the event that's coming up. Mm. Yes. Please you, do tell. Yes, the Dare to Dream Aviation Career Day, August 22nd, Hangar 21 in Fullerton, California. Space is limited, so go ahead to www.foreveronthefly.com under Youth Outreach Dare to Dream event tickets. And of course, they're free of charge thanks to our sponsors, United States Air Force, Youth Inspiration Nation U.S., Vertical Magazine, 26L Construction, and Young Eagles is going to be holding an event in conjunction with ours at the same location, Hangar 21, Fullerton, California. You can register your kids for fixed-wing flights. They're either first-come, first-serve, or you can check into youngeaglesday.org, youngeaglesday.org. I don't think they have the event posted quite yet, but continue to check in when we get closer to the date, and you'll be able to sign your kids up for the fixed-wing flights. Helicopter flights at the event are first come, first serve. So when you come to the event, there's going to be a registration table for um, your kid to get a discovery flight in a helicopter. Super exciting. And on top of the flights, we are also going to have an entire simulator corner with a full motion simulator, STEM simulator. The U.S. Air Force is bringing a virtual reality experience, which should be really cool. I'm excited for that one. And we're also going to have an entire career seminar that will be all day long with some amazing guest speakers. With someone from pretty much every profession in yeah, the aviation I world. Say, so, yeah, we most of them. Yeah, we got air traffic controllers. We got uh, flight attendants, airline pilots, helicopter pilots. And uh, aer- aeronautical engineers, mm-hmm. military pilots, military pilots. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be a really fun day. So come on out and bring the kiddos uh, for a whole day of aviation inspiration and education <laughs> and entertainment. We invited Morgan Freeman, but I don't know if he's going to show I don't, I don't up. Know. Gonna, It'd be pretty dope, though. It would be pretty cool if he decided to come along. I would have him like record uh, my voicemail. Like for when people call me. <laughs> nice. Be like, Morgan Freeman, can you uh, just say my name one time? Just one time. One time. Jose. <laughs> I don't know. That was a terrible Morgan Freeman voice. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Freeman. Please come to our event uh, if you're listening. 
<laughs> all right, guys. Our season opener starts off strong with our next guest who joins us all the way from Australia. She's a leader in aerospace innovation, holding the title CEO of iJetpack. This real live Iron Woman will have you believing that literally anything is possible. She's here to share her life journey from building her career in the digital innovation in the corporate space, her helicopter experience, to then starting her own jet suit company in the midst of COVID-19. Wowza. That's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. She's currently training to set the Guinness World Record for jet suit flight distance by setting off on a 2,112-mile journey across the continent of Australia. Say what? What? so insane the mental and physical stamina that she's going to have to have in order to make it across the continent on a jet suit that's pretty unreal yeah and we're going to learn all about what that journey is going to entail and what type of training she's going to have to undergo and the logistics of something like that is just absolutely insane so she's here to chat about that as well and let's bring her out bring her out bring her out bring him out bring him out <laughs> <laughs> Miss Jennifer Buse. And I said, well, I would circumnavigate Australia by jetpack. And they were like, oh, okay, that's cool. Well, why don't you do it? I'm Helly Jen, and I'm forever on the fly. Are you crazy? <laughs> Are you mad? <laughs> <laughs> I saw that on your website. What do you say to those people when they ask you that? Um, everything's a matter of perspective, isn't it? Um, am I crazy? <laughs> According to some people, yeah. But I don't feel, I actually feel like I don't take risks and um, no, I, I, I don't feel, I don't feel crazy, but perhaps that's what crazy is. <laughs> you don't know it. <laughs> right. No, definitely not crazy. Let's just start from the beginning. I want to know everything. You've had such a fascinating life with everything that I've read through the articles and on your website. And uh, I just want to share everything with our listeners. Who are you? Where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? What were you like as a child? Did you have family in aviation? And uh, yeah, let's just go from there. Sure. So I grew up in uh, Sidmouth, a, a little coastal town in Devon, population about ten to 12,000. So a very small place. It was a very humble kind of upbringing, both working class parents and, uh, you know, living in the country and growing up in farmlands and playing with horses and, and stray cats and running around and having having a great freedom that I think many folk in the city kind of upbringing don't get to have. And, and that freedom definitely allowed my creativity and my curiosity just to go wild. So I think that was kind of set from a, a very young age to kind of just allow curiosity to, to go wild and, and, and follow it and keep playing with things. Um, yeah, so I had, I had a really good upbringing. Um, there are no airs and graces and everybody was really down to earth. And, you know, I remember seeing somebody come down into Devon from London and it was like, oh my God, these people are <laughs> like celebrities. An outsider. <laughs> Whoa, amazing. And yeah, and then, then later on, you know, I end up uh, moving up in that direction and and going into corporate life and and completely 
changing from from my my country roots but yeah that was kind of my upbringing got a got a sister um who's three years older than me and we used to fight like cats and dogs when we were younger I think my siblings do um but love each other to bits and and yeah. still keeping contact now uh, they're all still back in the UK so I'm the only one over here in Australia and what capacity were you working in, like in the corporate world as far as like what field were you in? Yeah, well, my career was really varied. And I think it really talks to the fact that I just tend to follow this curiosity. So um, I, I'm not a learner that works well with theory and books and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, I question everything and I research everything and I rely much more on the consistency of observation than I do on just reading things and listening to people's perspective. I think these are important ingredients, but they don't, they're not always accurate. I find that observation tends to, and observation of behavior tends to lead to more accuracy than, than people's interpretations and how they might express things. So I've, I've kind of always questioned that. And, and so this experimental approach started when I was young. I worked in hospitality and, you know, I, I, I lied when I was 11 and said that I was 13 so I could get a job at a hotel and then got caught out when I was 15. And, and said, yeah, it's my 30th birthday. And they're like, what? Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I learned that I'm not a very good liar. That was very early, <laughs> early learning. Um, so I worked through the hotel um, industry. And by the time I was 18, I was running a hotel restaurant bar in, in, in uh, the seafront. And then I realized that I didn't like customers very much and that I probably needed to try something else. And I thought, oh, you know what? I, I think I want to be a lawyer, as you do. And of course, because I left school at 16 and had no interest in reading books and academic studies and all of that, I was like, okay, how do I get into that? So I managed to talk my way into a law firm and work for a partner and um tried out that industry, realized that I didn't like it very much. But um, what I what I did learn was that I had created a program. I, I saw that there was some repetition of the way that they were, um, the secretaries were writing out these letters. Everything seemed really consistent. They were just changing names in it. And these were back in the days, this is showing my age now, but back in the days <laughs> where um, macros on, on typewriters were like the new technology and not many people knew about it. So I worked out a way to program um, a, a macro in there that just meant they all they had to do was type the customer's name and it saved them a shitload of work. And so that was looking back on reflection, that was kind of, um, that was a, an indicator of where I would end up going. And, and I, I then uh, worked, I tried out retail and um, in the background, I taught myself to code. I'd, I'd actually learned to code when I was back uh, at eight years old. My dad was into computer programming and had all of these PC books. And I learned how to code this game called Pong. I don't know whether you mm -hmm. might have it it's just a really simple thing because again that's my age showing <laughs> but, um, 
But uh, I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. I can I can spend three weeks finger, single finger typing um, this code and I'm going to be able to create a game. Isn't this amazing? So I did that and and I got to the end of the, the, the three weeks that it took me and it came up in all its black and white glory and said, press space bar to continue. I was like, oh my God, I've actually done it. I wow. don't know what, that, what those words meant. And I pressed the space bar and it said syntax error, line 1,148. It was like, oh my God, I've got to count. <sighs> all of those lines lines work out where I've gone wrong. So from that day, I decided that I would, um, I needed to decipher what, what that code meant. It's a language of some sort and I needed to work it out. And that was really my introduction to coding and then the internet, kind of the wild west of internet before Google happened. And I taught myself how to HTML code I had a stint in um, modeling and and I I saw how many people were being stung by uh, you know people trying to take money off them to say that they were going to be models but they're they're not proper model agencies so I wrote a guide to modeling to help help those people and I set up a forum which was you know again wild west this was really early days with animated gifs of um I, I remember I had one with um uh, Homer Simpson popping up out of a hole. <laughs> Woo! That was that was really like out there back then. Um, and so I'd 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 done this and I did some temping work. I moved up to Reading and and my marketing director there saw what I was doing in my spare time and and that I'd created this global community of of photographers and model agents and um, you know from overseas, which again, you know, with the internet being so new was kind of like, whoa, that's amazing. You can connect with all these people. Um, So then she said, right, I want you to run um, the launch of a a mobile, uh, of a, not mobile, of of an internet site. And so then that started my career in in innovation and uh, digital innovation within um, the corporate space. That was CompuServe, which was then bought by AOL. Uh, Then I I worked in uh, Vis-a-Vis, which then became Vodafone, and uh, Vodafone then uh, was what got me to Australia to launch 3G mobile phones. So, yeah. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of been a little bit of like, whoa, explore your way around. And and I I think the common theme is just following, uh, following something inside that just keeps directing me going, yeah, that feels good. And it go, yeah, let's let's follow that path until it no longer feels good. And then when it no longer feels good, you go off and explore something else until that feels good. Yeah, following the curiosity. That's yeah. so funny. I have one of those my intent bracelets. I'm wearing it right now. And I had it engraved, stay curious. Yeah. Yes. yes. Oh, right. So important. And yeah. So, much fun. so <laughs> yeah. So this is my daily reminder <laughs> to stay curious and to follow yeah, those sure. those Yay. instincts. Yay. I know. I was like, I think she's gonna like this bracelet. <laughs> talking for a while. For sure. I, I think it can really annoy other people too, though. It's like, oh, do you really have to be curious about everything? <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's how I I've gotten to where I am today, Miss Helly Jane. Right. right? Um, so what inspired you to get into aviation? What inspired you about helicopters? It's kind of just the, the continuation of that story, really. So I I managed to work my way up the corporate ladder and and you know got to the 
the two percenters and and realized that I had lost I had lost the passion um for quite some time but I hadn't realized because you get so busy and you just end up like churning over what you're doing on a daily basis and trying to keep up and I realized that oh hang on a second this I'm just not feeling it anymore. And I, when I took some time out to reflect on that, I realized that um, the, the, the key thing with me is learning. I have an absolute addiction to learning and it's common throughout my entire life. And what I, what I kind of realized happened was as you climb the ladder and you've been there for 20 years, you stop you know, so you start knowing more and and learning less and you start scraping around. So you get to the kind of 80% of learning and then you're kind of scratching the surface going, okay, what can I, what else can I get out of this? And of course you turn your, you turn your focus to other great things, which is for me, you know, helping other people move up in their careers and and doing all of that. But it's still just, it just wasn't enough. Um, I also became really tired and frustrated of constantly having to, because in, in innovation, you know, you're constantly having to pitch in to executives and trying to get them to buy into your ideas. And, and I was just, it was just always, uh, Very dreamy. harder work than I felt necessary. And, and, so, and so I grew tired of that. And, uh, one of the things that happened, I started speaking more and, um, I wrote a column for Australian Financial Review and people kept saying to me, oh, you should write a book. You should write a book. And I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks. It's really nice, blah, blah, blah. And then more people kept saying, it was like, okay, I'm just going to have to write a book because it will keep people quiet. <laughs> so I go off to Hawaii and I, I take a, a helicopter tour and land on the top of this um, mountain in, in Maui with 360 views and had, had a glass of champagne. And, and, <laughs> And it, it was at a really, really hectic time in my corporate career. My mind is like running at five million miles an hour. And and I just got to the top of that mountain. First of all, I loved the beautiful grace of the, it was the EC-130 and just the way that it flew. It was just like a ballet. It was just beautiful. So I loved that bit. And then when I stood on top of this mountain and realized there's nobody else here, for you know nobody else can get here there's no way to get here by road and I got the feeling of feeling centered and it was the first time I'd actually connected what that meant so I I know clearly what it means when you read it on paper but to feel it is something completely different mm. and it was like it, it was like something sliced through this chaos in my head and just created this piece and 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 it was what it, absolutely what I needed right then. So I was like, oh shit, how do I get this? And I thought, okay, well, I need to be writing a book, and I really like this feeling. So what if I wrote a book on top of a mountain that's accessible only by helicopter, and then I can get this feeling, and it would be perfect for a place to write a book when you're feeling so at peace. And so I got back from Hawaii and I took my first helicopter um, lesson and then I fell in love with helicopters like Mm -hmm. crazy. (laughs) Oh, my God. We all know the feeling. (laughs) Quit my career and was like, right, that's it. I have no time for that. I'm focusing on, on flying. So, yeah, that's how it started. 
Wow. I know I can remember. I remember like my first time flying and it was just like the hook. I got like this. It was, I was addicted. It was just. Mm, Where was your yeah. first flight? It was in San Diego. Like and what were you doing before that? Like how? Well, I took some time off. I, I went traveling when I got out of the military. And then essentially I was working as an armored guard transporting money for the banks. You know, like those guys in the armored cars and they pick up money, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I knew I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. I got a demo flight and it was just, it was a game changer after that. I was like, well, I know did what somebody, I want to do. Did somebody say to you, you should, you should fly it or was you some- just went, oh. It was something I always wanted to do in the military, but at the time, the war was going on for so long that my parents wanted me to get out and go to school. So I ended up getting out, and one day I just kind of like, I was like, you know, I really want to just go check this out, and let me see if I could figure it out. I didn't know that the GI Bill could pay for it or not, or the benefits that we had could pay for it. And at the time, they didn't. It was like 50-50 that they would pay. And, um, yeah, you know, I just, uh, I just remember getting up one day and just like really falling in love with it. And then I just, yeah, got addicted. And that was the end of that, you know, I just robbed a couple armored cars and I was about to be like, he did the same thing as me, right? I was about to be like, oh yeah, we did meet back then. I was wearing a ski mask. You were, you were driving a car. I was like, well, uh, this is a perfect opportunity. Crazy. (laughs) You guys guys take cash. I know. What a meet cute. Um, <laughs> I didn't even know you drove an armored car. See, I feel like every single time we do interviews, I learn something new about this guy that I didn't know before. So that's yeah. always fun. Yeah, yeah. Armored cars. Mystery. Very cool. Might need one in Venice by the sounds of it. Yeah. <laughs> Just to get around in around here. <laughs> so that's, you know, and it's really interesting, Jen, because... I feel like uh, this day and age when everybody is like so stuck in their phones and not looking around and not being an observer. And that's where innovation comes from, right? Is looking around you and really observing and watching everything that's going on around you to see what's missing or new. That's how new ideas come about. And I feel like that's a very rare quality in people these days. So it was really cool to hear. I mean, that's you know, inspiring. Yeah, it's Absolutely. inspiring. Like I, I think the other thing that um, is a challenge today is that the other part of innovation is the diversity of thought. And with the digital age that I feel partly responsible for, there's uh, and personalization and all of this, all it does is serve to fuel us with even more bias. And the more that we start hearing our own bias, the more that we believe it, the less that we listen to others and particularly others that are completely on the other extreme. I mean, you only have to look at politics and see how uh, how people are just throwing, you know, there's no curiosity there. It's just like, we don't want to hear you. How dare you say those kind of things? And this is, this is kind of the lost opportunity for growth and innovation. It's kind of, if we could just turn that narrative around to go, that's really interesting. Can you help me understand why you think that? What if I were to stand on your side for a while and and immerse myself in that? Could I at least understand it? And then is there some kind of middle ground that we can get to to create something better that works for us both? And I I think we 
we are at risk with this digital innovation. It's this, well, this digital world is no longer innovation. It is our world now that, uh, that we just are serving ourselves to become less innovative mm-hmm. um, in some fields. But, of course, there's, there's so much diversity in the world that there are also a lot of people that, uh, that, that don't fall prey to that kind of um, view. Right. Uh, yeah. So you got your license. Did you ever write that book? On top of the mountain? No, I didn't. <laughs> I was like, is this world? <laughs> no, I didn't want to do that anymore. I actually had started um, a criminology um, degree as well, and I decided, nah, you know, I'm going to put all my focus into to flying. But that was the criminology thing was another, I realized another another way that I was trying to fill that gap of new learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've still, I've still got... There's still something in that criminology space that I, I feel I need to do something with. Like I'm totally curious around the power of the human mind and and how it is that some people's interpretations of the things that are happening to them um, result in behaviours that are less accepted in society um, or are very conformist. I'm, I kind of love these extremes of of things and and the fact that the the, the senses are are in many cases taking the same information in and yet processing it so wildly Definitely. different. Mm-hmm. And 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 that for me is is what absolutely fascinates me. Well, what drove me to become an armored car robber uh, <laughs> was <laughs> maybe that's a story for another time. Um, so, once you got your license, what was the next step in your helicopter journey? What did you do next? Well, I started off with um, going down the private uh, license road, and then I thought, oh, you know what? I just want to learn as much as I can about this, and. So then I went down the commercial path, but I kind of knew in my heart of hearts that it wasn't uh, it it wasn't something that I wanted to do as a career. So my 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 challenge is that I get bored very quickly with anything that's routine. And and whilst whilst flying helicopters is not routine because there are so many things, and that's why I love it so much. I don't think I could ever get bored of it in that sense. But I know that starting out in your career, typically you have to go through and you do the charter flights or you do instruction. And, and that for me is like, oh, how do I shortcut all of that? I just want to do the cool stuff. <laughs> well, when, you figure, when you figure that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's hear the secret. Yeah, that's the book you should write about. <laughs> that is the book you should write. <laughs> yeah, I had to cut that bit out. Well, so so I, I did manage to find a way to do that. And um, I was like, okay, well, what can I do? What are, what are some of the strengths that I have? And where are some of the gaps in the industry? And how can I then put myself into those gaps and do some exchanges so that I can get to do the cool stuff? And that's when I met um, David Adamson from Specialist Helicopters. And uh, I said to him, hey, you know, I could look after some of the, the your um, brand and your digital side of things if you can teach me some of the flying for, you know, film pilot stuff. I was like, that's really cool. Because I've, I've, I used to have a dark room when I was in my teens and, you know, loved photography and and so this was kind of the perfect mix, doing something that's creative and and with moving images at the same time as flying. And it, and and so he was like, yeah, 
okay, cool. We can do that. And I'm like, what? What? Really? Wow, awesome. <laughs> Never know unless you ask. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, wow, okay, this is really cool. So so then I, I started doing, um, going along on flights uh, with him and doing extra training with him. And, I mean, he's he, he has shown me, again, through – he, he's not one to tell you, but he will do um, the scenario-based training where you get to experience your own deficiencies. And uh, boy, did I have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I still do, by the way. I still do. But um, but that was, you know, this this really works for a, a learning mindset like mine as well, where you kind of go, that's great. Now I really know what I need to work on. Uh, but at the same time was getting to go and fly around the country and 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 um, even to observe you know how how that works how a professional works with with the camera in in film piloting and, and the one the one thing that I really had underestimated was just how much work goes on for the pilot and um, in coordinating all of that so before you kind of go oh it's really cool you get to fly around but but no, I mean when you're when you're filming with um, cars or boats or air to air, you know, the pilot is doing all of the communications and telling you know what's the banking angle that you need to be going into, thinking about where the sun is, thinking about the frame, looking at the monitor, and and just knowing what it takes to get that great picture, but also all of the dynamics of the the weather and you know everything about the helicopter at the same time and then getting communications in your ear from the director, the, the, you know, the, uh, the, the camera guy and, and, and everybody else who's on the ground. It's just like this massive chaos. And, and yet he does it with such calm. Just ease. Yeah. It was ease. Yeah. And I'm just like, Whoa, that is awesome. I just really want to do that stuff. What but kind I, of I recognize there's a reason why it takes thousands of hours to, to be able to get to that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that's the ultimate, I think. Were you guys uh, flying in an A-star or an EC-130 yeah. or what? What were you guys flying in? An A-star? Yeah. In an A-star. Yeah. The B3. Um, beautiful. Oh my God. I just love that machine so much. The B3E? It, no, B3 Plus. B3 Plus. Yeah. Still yeah. though. Yeah. It's yeah. still yeah. super nice. I'm super oh, biased. I love A-Stars. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're just so beautiful. I remember um, learning or getting in for the first time and learning to fly that thing and thinking, oh my God, it's like getting in a racehorse just wants to go and feeling totally out of control. Uh, you know, it was like, how am I ever going to be able to work with this baby? <laughs> and 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 of course you do right yeah. and, and and yeah just flying with her is just a dream absolute dream when you're doing your training was it in a 22 or was it in a robinson 44 yeah in or? a 22 i'd actually really love to go back to flying into i haven't flown one for years now and it's kind of i kind of liken it to you know you fl- you, you drive a ferrari and then you go into a, a, a go-kart not that i've ever driven a ferrari by the way just <laughs> <laughs> In my head, in my imagination, uh, that I have uh, driven a Ferrari, um, but but the R twenty two is like getting in the go kart. You know, it's really fun, it's fun. and and you you got to do it every once in a while. So I'd love to get back uh, into that some point. I I had a go at um, mustering um, 
up in the Northern Territories uh, a number of years back. And, and that was really great fun as well. You Ooh, should yeah. have somebody record that for you. Your, your, your first pickup back in the 22. You know, you should have somebody yeah. like record it. You know, that way. Yeah. <laughs> we've, men- we've mentioned before Jose's. Jose's experience getting yeah. back into a 44 and a yeah it was an interesting pickup apparently. I was um I started instructing again. I haven't instructed in about five years ish, and I started getting back into it about eight months ago. You know, of course, I got to get trained back up to standards and learn the aircraft. So when I picked up the Robinson 44, I swear to God, you thought I was like a brand new student. I was, I was, I was like, what? <laughs> What is happening? And like uh, my my instructor, who's a good friend of mine, he's a chief pilot now at a flight school down in Orange County. And he started laughing at me. He's like, all right, Jose, the basics. Let's just work on the basics. And I was like, and then I started thinking, all right, eyes outside, you know, doing my thing. And next thing you know, it just comes like clockwork. Naturally. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Took some minutes. You should have just told him, oh, I was just pretending to be a student just to, you know, yeah. see yeah. It Keeping see, you on your toes. Keeping you on your toes. Yeah. <laughs> see how you, uh, see how but, you do. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Well, let's talk jetpacks. <laughs> it's crazy. So crazy to me. That we're sitting here talking about jetpacks. So cool. <laughs> Real life Iron Woman over here. What got you into that? What What was your inspiration to start iJetpack? Uh, well, I had, uh, like I said, I, I kind of with the helicopter space, I knew that I loved flight and needed to carry on um, flying and and helicopters will always be my my deep passion. Um, but I did want to make a career of it. So I was thinking, oh, how else do I bring in flight uh, but take again? So what were my strengths? My strengths being in innovation. And I started looking around um, in, I, I had my head in stats around accident stats and and came up with a couple of concepts for that, but felt that um, that wasn't quite right for now. I'll revisit that uh, when I make my millions. <laughs> <laughs> Which you will. <laughs> well, maybe, um, and and so I thought, okay, well, what else is there? And I, it was a pretty tough time in my life, really, because I'd, I'd quit my career and um, I'd separated with my uh, husband and and sold the house and and got rid of everything. And I'd sat in silence for six months just to start to try to question who am I and and start to really get to know myself. I felt like I'd created this personality for years that um, I'd, I'd actually lost who I was. And then I realized I'd never actually met who I was. And and so there was, there was a really kind of tough time confronting to kind of realize that you you don't know yourself um and and so at the same time you know not having any of that's that familiar stability and and to have quit your career at the same time and to not have any income and you know kind of kind of just threw everything out at the same time and so I was thinking okay well what were my strengths? Well, they were in innovation, and and I I went out with a friend of mine, and over over beers, I said to, to to the two of them, "What would you do if you could do anything in the world?" And money's no object. What would you do? Like, what would your passion be? What would you explore? And they both came back with astronauts, and I was like, oh, "God, this is dull." <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry, no, no, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no like, offense to the astronauts who are listening right now. If you're out there. I mean, actually, for me, it's, I can't imagine sitting still in the same in a spaceship for so long. I would be bored and mindless. But, um, I mean, it would be fun, fun for the first 10 minutes. And then yeah. like, okay, what do we do now? Mm, there's nowhere to go. Um, so, yeah, for me... Okay, I think I've dug my hole. <laughs> no. So and so they said, well, what would you do then? And I said, well, I would circumnavigate Australia by jetpack. And they were like, oh, okay, that's cool. Well, why don't you do it? And I thought, oh yeah. Well, why don't I? And um, so that started a, a year of uh, research and really understanding um, how feasible is this? What would it take? What would it cost? Um, and, and also going through the self narrative going, you know, one of the things I found really interesting was I would get frustrated in the corporate world with, um, pitching in ideas that I, I really strongly believed were going to be the next big game changer. And, uh, and I'd be like, why is the CEO not, you know, not seeing what I can see? And then it came to my own decision. So I was like, huh. But now you're not backing yourself. So why is that? What are what are, what are the things holding you back? So if you're so convinced, and I realized you know money has a, a big uh, thing to play in this, and but there were a lot of excuses that I was giving myself that then I just had to self coach myself out of, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And and I, the the way that I got my head around that was, I thought to myself, well, what's the real worst that could happen? The worst that could happen is I have no money and I end up on the streets and you know what, I've been very close to that before and I was able to get out. So really, is that something you need to be fearful of? Well, mostly I think it's pride that gets in the way if that happens, you know, the, the pride gets hurt. But fundamentally, if you've been able to get through it once before, then you've got to be able to get through it again. And so I thought, okay, right, well, let's do it all in. Let's let's go for this, and it and it has been an emotional roller coaster of one minute feeling like yeah I'm on top of the world this is awesome, and the next minute go what the am I doing you know <laughs> like what am I doing and and am I am I just making this all up in my head am I crazy am I crazy right oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but my self coach says, "No, you're not crazy, Jen. You um, you know why you want to do this. You know, I've, I've decided that I wanted to. This life is really, really short, and and finance is people talk and budget with money uh, as if it's the only finite resource in the world, and it's not. Time is our only finite resource in the world, and yet we don't budget it properly. We we make excuses and we don't get on and do things. And I I just think." Our life on this planet is really short. So I want to be able to kind of create my life in the way that I'd want it written. And and so that kind of gave me permission to go, okay, well, what would the next chapter look like? And shit, yeah, I'd want to go and, and jetpack across Australia. Or of course I would want to do that in a book. Yeah, so let's do it. And, uh, yeah, so I, I took the 12 months of um, planning and then I met David Mayman from Jetpack Aviation, who's an Aussie, and he happened to be over here. And he, uh, he, he sat down over lunch with me, very generous with his time, great guy. And he he's looked through the plans. He made 
few minor changes and said, yeah, it's totally possible. I'm like, oh my God, it's really possible. Wow. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do this. Did and you then just started call- training with him. Did you just cold call him? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Like, Hi, I'm, I'm Jen. I, I want to fly I, a jetpack across Australia. Can you help me? Yeah. It was yeah, pretty much yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's one of the other things that was a challenge at first. I was thinking, how am I going to get into this, this world? You know, I don't have... I don't have the network in the aviation industry uh, at all, and uh, you know how do how do I very quickly build that network? And and at first my narrative was like, oh no, you can't just go out and ask people. And so then my self coaching would come in and go, well, why not? And I'm like, oh yeah, good idea. Why not? What, <laughs> why not? That can happen. Just say hi. Yeah. What's the worst no. that could happen? Yeah. And, and, and so, yeah, and he, he's, he's such an awesome guy, you know, and, and I think him and uh, Richard Browning as well from, from Gravity, they're, they're both so down to earth and, and, and doing something that is their passion. And it kind of just was reassuring to me to kind of go, yeah, I, I, I get it. And I like, I like these people and I like this kind of vibe going on. And that's so important to be, in amongst an environment that is uh, full of, you know, supportive people that are just doing what they love and wanting to make progress in the world. So, yeah, that's inspiring. Yeah, that is inspiring. Wow, Senior, I got a lot of respect for you. That's awesome. All right, go yeah. get her. All right. You know, yeah. I um, I've I've chatted with Richard Browning a couple times via email, and you know, I literally just wrote in an inquiry onto the website, and he's the one who answered me. I was shocked. I was like, wow, I got the guy. I got the guy. I got the main guy. That's cool. You <laughs> yeah. know, and we, we exchanged a couple emails. I was like, I'm going to be a jetpack pilot someday. I'm going to do it. And he was like, yeah, you should do it. I'm like, yeah, I will do it. But like, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Like, can I come over <laughs> well, there? And then they're like, well, here, yeah, you can give us like a, you know, whole bunch of money and come over here and do it. I'm like, I don't have a whole bunch of money, but you know what? I'm going to get someone else to pay for it someday. And he's like, exactly. well, let me know how that works. Uh, no, but I had invited him onto the podcast and originally he was, you know, all about it and he got really busy and it just ended up not being able to happen, at least not for, not yet. We'll get him on yeah. here eventually, but mm. yeah. So I've, I've flown, um, I, I originally went with the David Maiman's Jetpack and started my training over there. And, it, you know, it's it's a real beast of machine. And I, I was wearing my Fitbit at the time. And just before my very first flight, I thought, oh, let's check this heart rate because I can feel it through my clothes at the moment. And I looked and I was like 135 on my heart rate before I'd actually flown it. And I'm like, whoa, this beats exercise for sure. And, uh, <laughs> Eat your heart out, way. Peloton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a yeah. Well, I'll tell, tell you about that in a minute. But um, the so so then I I, I flew that flew that jetpack and um, it it is it's it, it requires um a lot of stability and it's it. It is a proper aircraft because you do have hand controls to you. So you've got your you've got your throttle and you've got your yaw in your other hand. 
Um, because because you're kind of all in a single line with um, your body in the middle and then you've got the two engines either side, any very slight movement changes your C of G and then actually moves you along with it. So you have to be really careful not to move your legs or and, and that's really difficult. So if you suddenly feel propulsion, you know, your legs kind of want to move back and it's hard to keep them together. So you can see in my training videos where I'm trying to cross my legs to stop one of them flailing out and then to take take me along with it and what would uh, without the tether would be would be a serious crash and so it was I, I knew with that one that I was going to require a, a lot of training to be able to fly that off tether and confidently and and feel safe doing so and I kind of discounted I'd seen the jet suit but I kind of discounted it because um I know Richards, you know, former, um, not Marine, but, you know, former military. And and he is super fit. Like, he does that calisthenic stuff and can hold himself sideways on a bar, whereas, you know, I can hold a, hold a plank for about two seconds. And, <laughs> and I was like, nah, you know what? I, I am never going to be able to fly that thing. And then my curiosity was like kicking in going, well, that's a bit judgy of you, Jen. Like you should go and try it and <laughs> test out your theory. And so that's when I went over there and and I flew it and the first time flying that thing it I, I never really thought that um my in my childhood had anything to do with aviation or flying but the minute that I flew that I really I recalled a very vivid childhood dream where I would lift up my arms to fly and I would have to push down really hard to take off and it was one of those frustrating recurring dreams sometimes you take off and other times you wouldn't and it happens to be like real life on a jet suit <laughs> sometimes you take off sometimes you don't and uh but but the the whole the whole physiology of pushing down to lift off was exactly the same as this dream and it 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 was just this is it I just knew then I had to make this thing. It was almost like, well, that dream was a premonition and that's what I chose to believe. And and uh, so I knew I needed to actually fly that one rather than the jetpack. Um, the difference being that there are no controls on a, on a jet suit. It's it's body controlled other than uh, a trigger for your for your throttle there's you the rest of it is all controlled by body movement and because you've got now a tripod effect of all of your uh, your thrust vectors it's like a tricycle versus a unicycle and and so you know your stability is much harder to get wrong and so it feels just more intuitive and safe and from a controlling perspective, it is an extension of your own um, abilities, things that you're more familiar with. So, for example, if you're in the water and you're swimming along and you want to um, turn to the right, you would you would take your left arm and you push it back and you would and you would turn to the right. Well, that's exactly the same as what you do with the thrust that you have um, with the jet suit. So everything, and then if you're falling and you're falling to the right, you would normally extend your hand to push to stop yourself from falling. And you do that with the, the jet suit and the thrust will push you back. So it's very, very natural and, and therefore makes it much easier to, to learn, but also much uh, more stable to fly. So I knew it had to be that. Yeah. So your um, throttle, is it a squeeze type of thing or is it a roll? Like, because you can't really see trigger. your hand. And it, oh, it's a trigger. Yeah. 
It's a trigger, yeah, and and you just keep it in all the time. So, in your in your left um, arm sleeve, you've you've got a trim switch, and the trim will set the maximum power for for when you pull the throttle right in. So you can set that according to your body weight so that you get about the right type of height. Now, if you were going to do some really strong banking angles, you would be able to trim up in flight. But typically, you're just controlling the the thrust by moving your arms. So the the more that you move your arms um, vectored down, the more lift you're going to get up. And, and so if you want to just reduce your your altitude a little bit, then you're just going to raise your arms up a little bit rather than messing around with the, with with the, throttle, the throttle and trim. Yeah, oh. and it just makes it much smoother and, again, yeah. you feel much more in control. Is it the same on yeah. the other side with the yaw uh, hand? You said you had the no, throttle. So, so the yaw is is um, there's there's no yaw controls, no no mechanical linkages whatsoever. So it's it's um, like I say, it's like the swimming thing. So you're just moving your arm back, got and it. you'll start. So, to, so there's two different things. You've got the jet pack, and then you have the jet suit. Correct. So the so jet, jet pack is, is the, the one aircraft. with the trim on it, or with yeah. the yaw on it. Yeah, it's got mechanical controls, whereas the jet suit has no mechanical controls. So jet jet suit yeah, is like you, a, an you. extension. It. <laughs> it's like it's like super powered limbs, really. Uh, whereas so the other cool. one is more of an aircraft. Yeah. How, how many hours do you have flying your jet suit so far? Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's like. Are we talking minutes? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> how many minutes? How, how many minutes have you logged? Uh, well, so I, I actually have probably only about uh, under two hours. Okay. Under oh yeah. Hours. Oh yeah. How? So to get so you're really going solo. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So you're gonna go solo. I haven't been solo yet, so I haven't I haven't done that yet. So uh, that's that's um, what we're building at the moment. So yeah. the I had done the training. My intent was never to build my own. My my intent was just to fly across Australia um, with one of their machines, and um, and I, I when I was at uh, Richard's place and 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 we were looking, we were in his workshop. And I said to him, you know, so what do you think? Like when somebody else like creates another one of these. And at the time I didn't realize it was going to be me. He was <laughs> like, oh, he was, he was like, oh, no, that's totally cool because, you know, this competition is, is, is a good thing. And I'm quite confident that we can move quicker than anyone else. And, and so I was like, oh, that's a really cool attitude to have. And um, when I flew back, I actually landed and and that was, I was supposed to be going back over to LA to do the jetpack, continue on the training there. But COVID then hit and the international travel bans um, kicked in. So that trip got cancelled. And my prediction was that that was going to be at least a year, which turned out to be true. It's probably going to be another year from now, even for Australia. We've, we're still not allowed to do international travel. And um, and so I thought, okay, well, I can't afford to not to, to, to wait that long. And also, I just want to get training and, and do this. So what are my options? Well, my only option is to build my own. And because I can't afford to buy one of theirs and they don't have them for sale anyway. So I'm going to build my own. And, and uh, that was 
decided that in about March last year, I think, yeah, March last year. And so it took me a good six months to then find somebody that could actually build it. I knew what I wanted, but, um, you know, can I actually put those parts together? Uh, no. Could I go and study it? It did cross my mind. It was like, oh, maybe I could just become an engineer and um, <laughs> possible. There's that always uh, learning. <laughs> yeah. But I thought, okay, well, two things wrong with that. One is um, time to to get there. And and if I don't take the time, then the risk of, of, of me getting it wrong and and killing myself would kind of defeat the purpose. So, so um, I decided to find somebody, and it took me, yeah, six months to find my engineer, but I did find him, and uh, he's the only person to single-handedly build a rocket, uh, a rocket-filled jetpack. So the the ones that you see in the like the James Bond uh, uh, movies from the sixties, one of the very first ones that you see, it lasts for about twenty-three seconds in the air. Um, but it's like a crazy beast of machine. There's there's very there's very little control when it takes off. It's kind of from nothing to you're right, you're up there and you're gone. So there's no gentle kind of <laughs> progression forward. And and so he built he built that single handedly. And uh, Bill Suter actually sent him an email to congratulate him, saying, "I don't know how you managed to to do that. You know, this is it, it took him a, a a lot of people to to build." Uh, their version, the, the the Bell version. So, um, so I was like, okay, I, I phoned him up and I said, hey, you know, I am doing this thing with, and I I, I want to build a jet suit. And he was like, I was hoping you were going to ask me that. I'm like, oh, oh, really? Perfect. Awesome. <laughs> And so, yeah, so then we worked together for for, uh, nine months. That was in September last year, and it's taken us nine months to get the machine built. Uh, But all of that time, we'd only ever spoken over the phone, and so I'm sending him up, you know, jet engines and and new computers and all of this stuff, and I've never actually met the guy until about three weeks ago. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm like, I said to him, I'm like, yay, you're not a scammer. (laughs) (laughs) There's like some random like catfisher (laughs) engineer that you've just been sending (laughs) engine parts to. You can imagine the news story, like what idiot does that sends them up all this stuff? <laughs> that is awesome. Oh yeah, but he wasn't. He was uh he was, he was, he was legit. <laughs> I think you might have killed Jose. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. I love your conscience voice like earlier. Oh yes, like, I love to hear the inner thoughts of Jen. I know. It's like it's like very judgy of you, Jen, <laughs> you know, earlier. <laughs> and now exactly. and now you're like, oh my god, I'm glad he wasn't a scammer. <laughs> Yeah, I shouldn't say that actually publicly, should I? I do have these voices in my head. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? We all do. We all do. Yeah, but I have what I call my housemate. And my housemate is like the real rational one. And I feel like I'm I'm actually the kind of the, the five-year-old kid that never wants to grow up. And he's just like, yeah, we can do anything. And then the, the housemate comes in and goes, 
no, Jen, right, we really need to think this through. And I'm like, oh, God, I roll. Uh, <laughs> do we have to? Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Things you shouldn't say publicly on air, yeah. No, <laughs> that's going that's in. Awesome. Yeah, that's... It's definitely going in. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Dang. 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 Gotta do the first dang. Gotta do the first dang of the show. Season two, episode one. Dang. Dang. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually spelled, spell it D-A-M-N. So, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. Um, Australia, in- English Australian. Yeah. <laughs> I quite like dang. I could try that. So what's your timeline? So you've, we, we've talked about a little bit, but for our listeners, so you've built the pack or the suit and you're starting to now build the training facility with the tether and everything so that you can start practicing. Yeah. So actually it, um, the, the full protection system arrived this morning at um, Sydney Motorsport Park, who um, are fantastic folks who just loved Loved the idea of what I'm doing and just said, yeah, you know, we want to partner with you. They've got the, um, there's there's a new Australian Motorsport Innovation Precinct opening next year and they've asked me to be the founding, um, one of the founding partners with them for innovation and technology. And so they've given me like a fantastic space uh, above turn five that, that is kind of elevated area that overlooks the the whole of the circuit and so I'm building a, a, a flight stage there that will have this full protection system all engineered in with it to make it totally safe and uh, putting a briefing lounge on there as well with like a spectator area and uh, so that should be finished in where well, the rest of the stuff arrives at the end of this month so Apart from the briefing lads, briefing lads will come in around August, uh, but the training, at least the training thing so we can get flying will be in a matter of weeks now. Wow. Um, so the we did our first test flight at the beginning of June. That's when I first met um, DACA face-to-face. And, uh, yeah, it went exceptionally well. You know, I, I after years of in a, uh, working in innovation, my expectations are always there's going to be a lot of big things that you're going to need to change and over iteration, they become smaller and you get to a point where you go, okay, that's enough for us to actually uh, to roll with. But um, actually there was no really significant um, engineering challenges with it at all. It was exceptionally stable um, and to actually just lift off in that machine was just, oh, my God. So cool. Awesome. It was so awesome. Yeah. And and to yeah, it's kind of surreal though as well, because you've been working on it for so long and and it, it made me realize how accustomed to whatever you, you start doing when you when you do it enough, you just it it no longer becomes that thing that's kind of amazing. It's just it's just what you're doing, you know, and it's um but but actually flying it was was sensational so there are some things that we need to change on it we're we're currently going to look at uh, reducing uh, the weight uh in there so we we kind of knew that we would need to do that and we're going to change some of the trim settings in the electronics and then we'll take it down to the training center and I'll be able to do some proper flights so the so the uh, test flights were all run on a single point tether which um 
which was a bit frustrating because it was so stable. I was like, but I want to fly this now. <laughs> and, I, and I can't because I'm stuck on a single point stuck tether. <laughs> yeah. So um, so I can't wait to get that down. We'll, and, then, we'll... and then your housemate started speaking up and was like, I nah, know, Jen. Yeah. I, I, did have a, I did have a row with her like uh, on the, the last flight of the day. And, and Daka, the, my engineer, said, and so you want to do one more flight? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my housemate was going, Jen, just leave it here. You're kind of, you're getting to the point where you're going to get tired. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to be pissed off if you don't do this properly. And I was like, oh, really? And all the way home, I felt like the five-year-old in the back of the car sulking. Like, I so should have done it. I so should have just done it. You'll have it. plenty of time. It know, sounds right? like, yeah. it sounds like you're going to have an entire continent to cross. Yeah, I mean, it's further than the distance of, of the diameter of the moon, which was kind of like, whoa. Whoa, really? didn't know I that. I did not know yeah. that. That's mind-blowing. So, yeah. so and you're going to build the training facility, and how long is it going to take you, do you think, before you're going to feel ready and safe? I mean, I guess you're not going to know until you start training, but... Yeah, that's, that's right. I mean... Based on my experience with um, flying uh, gravities jet sail, it's, it takes like a couple of days, and and you feel pretty confident to to do that. One of the other big challenges uh, for me is that exercise thing. I've just I just can't, you know. I, I I on the one hand I believe in the power of the mind and that you can overcome anything that you want, and then I've got exercise and it's like mm, that one doesn't fit into that theory. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't like it and I keep trying it and I keep trying to convince myself yeah yeah you'd love it you love it you love it and it, it just doesn't work so there is always a way though right so I thought okay well how do I overcome this challenge of the physicality because I'm going to really need it to do you know what is going to be around 16 flights a day every day for at least 60 days so that's you know it's it's a lot. So that's like doing um, seven minutes of planking 16 times a day, every day for 60 days. And this is for somebody who can last about two seconds on a, on a plank at the moment. So so it was a problem that, you know, in innovation, they, they say, you know, you've got to pick a you've got to pick a big enough problem worth solving. So this was my big enough problem worth solving. So I started researching, okay, how do we overcome this thing? And looking at rehabilitation capabilities and came across exosuits. And I'd, I'd been over to um, the uh, University of California and um, had seen some of the, the hard exosuits, but they're all really bulky. They do the job. They can support your limbs really well, but they're all bulky and, and, and weight on on the jet suit is mm-hmm. is not something you want. So then I was researching it more and I came across this guy who had invented the first soft exosuit. So um, pretty much like material that looked like a, a normal coat. And so I contacted him. I was like, okay, this is a theme. If you, if you see something, just contact them. And um, I didn't hear from him for about a month. And I was like, oh, yeah, fair enough. And I didn't want to be that hounding person, even though many entrepreneurs go, oh, yeah, just keep hounding people. I, I don't know. It's just not in my way of doing things. So I didn't I didn't follow up. And I just thought, OK, we'll leave that. We'll keep researching other ways. And then he just contacted me out of the blue. He was like, oh, I just came across this. And um, it was in a different folder, blah, blah, blah. And I would love to help. And I'm like, 
wow, that's awesome. And so within 24 hours, he'd, he'd put together a proposition and, and uh, got a team together. He's now got about six people working on it, I think. He's an uh, Italian guy, uh, Lorenzo Marzia. He's um, a professor at Heidelberg University, and uh, he and his team over there are inventing the world's first bionic fly suit. And wow. so this will this will take. He said to me, "Look, we can take hundred um, percent off of of your shoulders by by this thing." And I was like, "Okay, well, maybe not hundred percent. Maybe we could just go for eighty. Because if something like a fly lands on my face and I'm not feeling anything, I'm quite likely to just put my hand up and <laughs> meanwhile the thrust is going to throw me across the, across the land." So maybe not hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, I'm sure you're likely so, to yeah, encounter so, some flies across the desert, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. So he's been building that and we should get to test that um, pretty soon as well. So he's made really good progress. And we've got um, Day and Easy who are the, they, they do a lot of um, uh, dynamic sports um, protective gear, so mostly like MotoGP and all of that kind of stuff. And when you think about the jet suit and how I'll be flying it, it's actually very similar profile to uh, MotoGP in that I'm not going to be flying very high off the ground because you want as much forward motion and 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 with the the lack of endurance on these things, you don't want to waste time going up. So it's very much a forward motion, and and so it made sense to have these kind of MotoGP. Um, equipment and those guys said yeah we'd love to support you on this journey and so we've been testing out flying with their jackets which will be integrated with the bionic fly suit and uh yeah it's all coming together it's like kind of surreal so cool you made it happen yeah well I think so I don't know you made the you made the calls you got really smart people working with you <laughs> like it's gonna yeah. happen you know I think the beauty of it is when you find something you're passionate about it's very hard to hide that passion mm-hmm. and and uh, people want to be involved with other people that are passionate about things I mean like I said life is so short why would you want to spend it like moping around like get out there and have fun and and be amongst people that are uh are like-minded in in that sense as well so yeah absolutely. so i've been very lucky but i haven't met lorenzo so maybe he's the scammer you're gonna see your exoskeleton <laughs> suit on amazon and then you're gonna be like oh yeah, my exactly. god bastard <laughs> uh, <laughs> You yeah. got, then you got to fall back on all of your criminal mind studies and figure that's out it. what no. made what made Lorenzo <laughs> do this. Um, Maybe that's what's meant to happen. Yeah. No. So, so it's pretty good. I got a number of people like you know um, supporting supporting this, and uh, yeah, it's just going to be going through the training. I've actually flown the the same route um, by helicopter, and the the. It's you know as long as the, the the terrain stays interesting, it it's okay. But there's part of Western Australia which is just plain desert, and it's like nothing to see for hours in the helicopter. And it will take me two weeks to get across that part alone um, by jet suit. And it's going to be the most boring thing ever. I mean, even flying in the helicopter, I'm like, oh, okay. And you're doing little five-minute stints. So logistically, 
how many vehicles are you going to have following you? Are you going to have a helicopter following you as well, just in case you get injured and you have to be medevaced or... Um, have yeah, you worked out any of the details? About yet? It. It's nothing, nothing firm in terms of the helicopter thing. Although the, the minimum viable solution is to have uh, the the support vehicle, which we're going to need to have for, to carry the fuel drums as well, um, and to do the refuel. So the idea is that we'll we'll be uh, I'll, I'll be flying along, and um, a light will go off on my shoulder when I'm down to thirty seconds of fuel, and we will converge and do a hot refuel and. and then keep going on and uh, to try and get the you know the endurance uh, going and also to not keep stop starting the engines which mm-hmm. isn't great for the engines so um so that that's the plan that's the theory um and to have to make sure that we've got somebody who knows the basics of first aid the engineer um to to make sure they're fixing fixing things as we go because uh, it will need to um maintenance um, overhauls whilst and through that journey as well and the engines will so six engines that we need need to go through so there's there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen in that um but I also I don't know whether this is just me you know my my five-year-old child again is kind of going oh but I also want to do do other really cool stuff whilst I'm doing this journey and and do some other you know like fun stuff chasing chasing cars and doing little races and and things like that but I should probably conserve my energy as I'm going across and we'll see how we go um I don't I don't expect this to be anything um in any remote form of enjoyment whatsoever this is going to be for me about the challenge the power of the mind you know like I say I have this theory that you can adjust your and reframe your way of thinking to overcome any form of adversity and this is me putting it to the ultimate test because I really hate exercise and this is something that requires fitness I mean there's a couple of people going oh yeah so you're an athlete and I'm like (laughs) yeah right (laughs) if that ever gets put in the media with me and the word athlete yeah you know somebody's smoking something (laughs) yeah I'm, I'm just absolutely the opposite end of athlete and 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 so this is about me going okay can I actually over how much of this can I overcome? And I'm okay with the the pain and the challenge of things, but am I when it's really put to the extreme like this? This is this is all about self learning again, I guess, and the curiosity. And hopefully, I'll be able to help others kind of um, look within themselves and kind of go, okay, well, how can I challenge some of my own? restrictive or limiting theories that I have the the things that are really preventing me I really do believe it's just a a mindset and and that we can release so much of that just if we if we care to to take the attention to it yeah so obviously you're going to be camping along the way yeah wow yeah that's insane yeah that's a lot. Uh, yeah, I don't well, know I'll be I'll be right that. there with you, Jen, if I can get my travel exemption. <laughs> I, I, I gotta be there too. I need some other I energy. Be there to- I mean, the more other energy that I get there and and you know, distraction from the pain of doing it myself, like <laughs> the better. Yeah. I don't know how these people, the girl who the 16-year-old that went across the ocean on her own, I'm like, whoa, that's like serious. Wow. Yeah, that's a strength there. 
But if you put like rollerblades on and you know just got on the road with the jetpack, is there is there? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it would be good if I was okay with balance. I'm I'm useless with balance on things like um, you know. I think you asked before, like what what a why not the hoverboard and and things like that. Well, I'm I'm useless. Like my mates used to skateboard um, when I was a teen, and I was like, yeah, nah, that's not going to happen. Like my my balance on 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 my feet I don't know whether it's like I've got big feet and I I, I just think that that's an impediment <laughs> well my sister tells me that it should make me swim better because uh, I have my own inbuilt flippers and oh, <laughs> I feel you Jen I feel you <laughs> I have, right there with you size nines right here <laughs> yeah maybe it's a pilot thing you know maybe maybe we can reach the pedals better yeah exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, crazy. Yeah, but um, yeah. So, so the hoverboard, any, anything that involves uh, feet and balance. Nah, I'm I'm better with arm controls and, and uh, yeah, body. You should control. get some uh, get some yoga in before. Oh god, <laughs> that's, that, that's that e word again. So. Oh, you can do it. Yeah. Some balancing techniques. <laughs> yeah, you know, I know I could do it. But um, I just, yeah, the desire factor for it, it's like, yeah. You'll have your suit. It's going to help a lot. Exactly, exactly. And I know that the minute that I'm out there doing this, and I, I, I think the, the trigger point for uh, the exercise is, is likely to come when I'm doing the training, when I've got the flight center um, up and running properly and I can actually do more training on it, I'm going to start feeling um, frustrated like I did when I was flying gravities because I like to get myself to a point where I'm mentally fatigued, where I kind of go, oh, I can't learn anymore. I'm at capacity. And and getting frustrated with that is, is I, I'm good with that. But what I found was that I was I was still had the mental capacity to learn so much more with the flying on the jet suit, um, but my physical capability could not allow me to go further. And that really gave me the shit. So mm. I was like, okay, I, I, I think this is going to be the point where I go. I now have a, I now have a need and a desire that's greater than my frustration for exercise. So that's my theory is that that will happen. And then I'm going to start um, at least training my shoulders to do it's the the hardest part is the lateral arm raise that you have to do um both you do that on on landing but when you're um when the engines are spooling up and you're putting up the throttle just to make sure that they they balance you hold your arms out um to the sides with the lateral arm raise and and so you've got like over five kilos per arm um, that you're holding up in in that position until they've spooled up properly and they're balanced and then you then you go down um, and it doesn't sound a lot but doing doing that repetitively um, definitely aches your shoulders and then what happens is your shoulder well for me what happened is my shoulder got weak and that actually impacted my ability to keep my arms straight with thrust so as you're mm. leaning into the thrust I felt my elbow would move just a fraction, like a millimeter or so, but that changed the direction of the thrust to follow up through my forearm and outwards, not up to my shoulder, which makes you do this wonderful Wonder Woman looking thing that's uh, not so good if you're not on a tether. Mm. So 
I, I, I will need to do some exercise, but I need to have that, that, that crush point that says, you know what, your desire to do this flight now gives you the permission to go off and, 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 and fight that aversion to exercise. Theory, in theory. <laughs> so on a scale from one to 10, how dangerous is jet suit flying? I, th- I think it's like any kind of machinery or any vehicle that it, it depends on how you use the machine um, as to what the danger level is within it. I don't see myself as a risk taker at all. I I do a lot of research around everything that I choose to do and understand as much about it as as possible and if I feel that there's a significant risk then I won't take it Um, so managing the risk in this is around um, maintaining a a low height off off of the ground so I kind of think it through in terms of would I be happy falling off a platform with the weight of the the fuel and the jet suit and and falling on my face so I'm not going to be flying at 50 feet I'm going to be flying like inches above the ground and and partially because of of uh, wanting to get as much forward movement as possible efficiently without using the time to go upwards but also from um, a safety perspective so if you think about that compared to something like a, a motorcycle where you you know you're you're up a little bit further and and you're kind of getting similar speeds it's is it much different than that i don't think so mm-hmm. yeah we've got we've got systems we've got engines and and you you put through a number of filters on there to make sure that we're protected from things when we're going across the desert for uh, the air intakes and making sure that that's that's all um protected uh, but of course things can go wrong with that and and this is a new technology but if you're flying low to the ground and you've got safety gear on and, you know, I will be wearing a helmet, I will be wearing um, the the protective clothing from Day and Easy and um, I'm, I'm not going to cut corners in safety. And, and one of the things through the designers, we were looking at, okay, well, what, what other safety mechanisms can we build in? And so we've been looking at how we build um, engine redundancy. And one of the things that we'll be testing uh, on at the, at the flight training center is uh, what, how can how can we try to get this so that if one engine goes, uh, the others cut out at the same time? Um, the because we've got six engines on ours, and so that you've you've still got three engines running. What is the effect of that? Is there any way to cushion it, even if it can't withhold um, the total weight? So you might drop a little bit, but cushioning it rather than just completely throwing you off kilter because one of the one of the tripod legs has gone versus the others so things like that we're we're testing through and and um and and everything as we've been going through is okay great well if we cut out on x y and z what is the impact to safety what is the the new level of risk um i've set up safe uh, safe work management system and done all of the the risk assessments in there as well and and been really thorough around that that safety side of things and and so it just it it doesn't eliminate the risk 
but it certainly makes you understand exactly what you're doing and makes you think about in those circumstances, what are the multiple ways that I might be able to um, to minimise the impact or the effect of things going wrong. But there is the inevitable, you know, engine failure, you're going to hit the ground. Um, and, and, and being at low height, it's going to hurt. But are you going to die? Um, unlikely, I would say. Yeah, I wonder uh, how you know, strong winds are going to affect you. If you can only go 30 miles an hour and you have a 30 knot wind, huh? Yeah, not, not a lot. Um, you know, it's not the, the, because you're wearing it and you, the, the human is the fuselage. There's not a lot of aerodynamics, um, forces you or, or, or platforms on there to, to, help you give you lift or anything like that uh, I guess there's a there's a case for saying well actually because it's not aerodynamic then you might be more impacted by by the force of wind going against you but the thrust on this thing and the stability because you've got the triangular effect um, and because you're low to the ground is 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 gonna it, it's it's not going to be the same as Oh, again, this is this is what I believe to be the case. It may end up being different. Um, we're certainly trialing all of these different things, so, um, but not not the same as what you might um, feel with a larger aircraft, like a, a like a helicopter or, or a plane that has a bigger fuselage that feels the impact of of that wind force. And it's much, having much more, more of that form drag. Exactly. You know? Yeah. That was far more eloquent way of saying it. <laughs> 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 Profile drag. Five minutes there. And then you'll you'll have legitimate skin drag, skin friction. <laughs> actual skin friction no gonna be covered <laughs> luckily hopefully that suit that you're wearing is going to have a lot of fire protection um i'm yeah, sure, sure will be built into yeah. it so you you know um what are the chances of like but, but, I mean, i'm sure you've got I'm, you've got hot air coming out of the bottom of those engines where you're producing the thrust how hot does that actually get can you burn your legs on that or like on a muffler well, you could. So, if you had an accident and you pointed the the um, <laughs> engines directly at your legs and you didn't let go of the throttle, then yes. But yeah. I mean, the chances of that your natural instinct is to let go of the throttle. When you let go of the throttle, it goes to idle. There's a kill switch as well. And at idle, you can run your hand underneath the engines, and uh, yeah, it's warm, but it's not gonna. You know, it's it's, it's not gonna it's burn you. Not what you might expect. Right. Yeah. Um, flammability, well, it uses jet fuel. So jet fuel is way less flammable, flammable than mm-hmm. diesel. And and so, you know, that's is that likely to blow up into flames? No, not really. Um, and so, yes, the heat, it, it, if, if you land on um, like the exhaust, well, that's going to be hot, but we've got exhaust protections on there and we've got materials that also um, reduce the amount of heat that gets exposed fire. Uh, those heat shields so that's all kind of been looked at and and, and minimized as well um yeah so I, I do i feel that it's it's a risky thing no not at all actually i don't i i, I feel pretty safe i think it's people's unfamiliarity right. with Education. the capability and because i'm so close and i know what's gone into it from a safety perspective um 
yeah, it's just it, a lot of people feel that this new and unfamiliar thing is going to be like really scary. And it's kind of like, well, I should probably allow that marketing hype, right? But right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the reality like, is yeah, this that... is really dangerous. No one yeah. else can do it but <laughs> I'm me. I'm so cool. And really cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm a big sook and I, uh, I will go for everything that is anti, <laughs> an, uh, anti-risk where possible. What, um, what does your family think of? Of the mission as far as you undertaking this mission um my mom kind of closes her eyes and doesn't doesn't like to think about it too much and so she she hears what they're doing and it's like oh yeah that's really good just don't tell me any details um uh, yeah they're they're all they're all kind of like it's Jen, you know, it's Jen doing her thing. It's, like, <laughs> it's not really a surprise to any of them, I don't think. Um, you know, my kids are, are really like blase, but oh, yeah. yeah, you're just doing it. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, no thoughts, kids? <laughs> <laughs> Which is really good because, you know, yeah. I, don't, I don't want it to be hyped up around this really big thing. It's not... It's not about the spectacle. It, it's it's for me. Uh, it, it's for me uh, a, a test of the human mind, and that's really what it's all about. And and I I, I just want to learn through that. I want to test my theories and and learn through that and and share my learnings with people mm. in the hope that maybe somebody else will be inspired to do something different for themselves. I mean my. My ultimate would be to see other people fighting into their own adversity. You know, that's the thing that really inspires me. Is is it's not it's not people. It's behaviour that that inspires me. And and seeing seeing people using the power of their mind to reframe things and overcome significant adversity. That always just uh, I'm, I, I'm always in tears when I see anything. I go, oh. It's so- <laughs> <laughs> so inspiring absolutely yeah, so inspiring you know and and it's just it's just amazing it amazes me how much of our mind is how how much control we have over how we feel and perceive things and how that affects everything about us and it's all just a matter of our choice of interpretation and I and I I I believe that many people don't see it as a choice. They think mm-hmm. things are happening to them or that other people are doing things. And it's, it's when you learn to take the responsibility that this is a choice and you have chosen to do, you know, to feel that way or to perceive that somebody is attacking you or, you know, you can turn it around and you can say, well, actually, no, they're not. And, and that changes everything. It makes life so much more you know, approachable and makes you feel so much more empowered when you take responsibility for how you choose to see, perceive, behave and feel about things. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, it opens up so many doors that in fact, at times it's kind of like, oh, it was an easier life when you realize when when you didn't believe that you had so many choices. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, oh, there's so much choice. It's like, how am I going to get it all done? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's just letting go of the victim mentality. And like you said, realizing that you're responsible, response able, you're able to respond to situations and things that are happening in and around you that you you can choose, like you said, as a choice to either look at it one way or look at it in a super negative way and feel like the victim. 
And yeah, yeah, I've heard that from a lot of very successful people is just um, letting go of victim mentality when things are going wrong and moving forward and pursuing your dreams and just going at it. Just well, like, that's one thing I've got in, in similarity to those guys. And yes. <laughs> no, you're are you kidding. <laughs> similarity to what guys? You are the guys. You oh, are the success God. story. And um, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I just met you, but I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Aww, thanks. Uh, I am a, truly a big fan, Senorita. That, uh, you have an amazing story. And um, I wish you nothing but the best. I mean, I'm just blown away by, man, everything that you were talking about today. What a journey. <laughs> to say yeah. the least. To say Now, that's a book you should write. However, yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah just your story. There's, there's always biography. a thing, you know, there's, there was a book. The only book that I really enjoyed reading when I was young was uh, one called Choose Your Own Adventure. And I really feel like life is exactly that. You go through and you have to, like, earn strength and and money and then you choose which page you want to turn to to carry on the journey and it it just feels like life is is this you can choose your own adventure and you can choose to turn the page whenever you want to and I just think that's beautiful you know just Mm -hmm. I loved those books when I was a kid that are that are, are, are feeling stuck um one of the other most important learnings through all of this is that the feeling of being stuck is just an opportunity for growth and it's not a failure. And I think the the negativity that, that people put around feeling a failure, it has massive consequence to you personally. And it's a really hard thing to get out of. I mean, I've seen some really dark days through this through this process and and have had to have a lot of self-coaching to get out of some of those some of those points. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, to, to, to know that you have the power within to reframe anything and, and, and to, to get yourself up and out and to have somebody there to uh, support you and rally you in the background as well is incredibly, has, has been incredibly important to me to get through those stages. But for those out there, you're not a failure. If you're feeling those things, you're feeling human. That's what makes us human. It was, that's what makes us not robots. You know, we have these feelings, we have these emotions, they will bring you down, but they bring you down so that you can fill the up even higher. And I know that possibly sounds a little bit wanky it's not meant to it's, um, it's not wanky at all no. but it's it's, it's a truth you know that it, you will get through it and you will learn something so much more I'd much prefer the highs and the lows than than the consistent line of of mediocrity well said beautifully spoken this whole thing it was just this has been a very, um, probably one of my favorite interviews actually so far. <laughs> no Yay! offense to any of our previous guests. We love everyone. Yeah, no, this is going to be a great season opener. I'm really excited. And thank you so much for taking the time. And I'm, I'm glad that we were able to figure out the time difference. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> that was, uh, that was so funny. And I didn't even, I didn't catch it either. Good luck with everything. We're rooting for you on this side of the pond. And, <laughs> and yeah, we'll I'll, I'll be I'll be in touch. We'll be chatting soon. Awesome! Thanks, guys. Bye, Bye. Bye. Wow, what a story! Damn, <gasps> Daniel. I feel really bad about myself right now, hearing all, <laughs> everything that she's accomplished in her whole life. I mean, 
obviously, no, I don't feel bad about myself, but what an inspiring story. Like growing up in the country in Australia, teaching herself code. Who does that? Who does that? Who does that? A genius does that. Yeah. Somebody who's super motivated. What's up, Miss Elon Musk? (laughs) Elonia Musk. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. No, like, yeah, no, she she's a go-getter for sure. Yeah. And then having a go through everything she went through and having the desire and the will to change essentially her image yeah you know and get into flying yeah i think that you know one of the biggest takeaways from her story is that it's never too late to pursue a new dream you know she has worked in innovation her entire life and in a sense we're talking about self-innovation as well you know, continuing to grow and learning new things and keeping that observing eye open all around you and finding new things in life to aspire to and to learn. I think everybody at some point should ask themselves exactly what she asked all of her friends that one day when they were having lunch. Like, if you could do anything in the world, if money wasn't even an issue, what would you do? And then whatever comes to mind, just figure out a way to do it. And that's kind it's what she did. She, you know, we talk about this all the time with finding the right people and finding the right mentors and, you know, being willing to make that phone call, to make that cold call and just say, Hey, this is me and this is what I want to do. Can you help me? And, you know, in this instance, voila. Right. She found the right people. What would you do? If I could do anything in the world? Yeah. Definitely not fly a jetpack across Australia. <laughs> 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 I mean, I definitely want to fly a jetpack. Don't get me wrong. But man, that's that's going to be quite the trek. You know, she can only go in five minute hops. That's ridiculous. For over 2,000 miles. That's um, it's going to take her a while. That's what I told her, man. Get, on, get those rollerblades on. I think that you know? that's actually a genius idea. I think yeah. that would really make yeah. her go a lot faster. Yeah. Cut but your time in half. It needs to be like those big, like big... Uh, they have to be pretty big blades, though. She's going across the desert, you know. Oh yeah, you know, like well, the I thought you know, she was like the stay on like the. I thought she was staying on like the road. She's cutting across the desert. Is she? I don't know. Is there a road that goes all the way across? I don't know. I, I don't mean, know either. <laughs> I think so. I mean, yeah. You'd imagine, right? Because all the supplies. Yeah, I mean, you should have to have all the trucks right. and right. you know. So if you're staying on a highway, yeah. Why not? You know, just get your rollerblades on and cook. True, true. Go get those NOS boosters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I can't even imagine. She's going to have to learn how to exercise, man, because there's no way she's going to be able to do that if she can't even hold a plank. Nah. Jennifer, you get your eating, butt to the gym. Keep eating those churros, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? And that's the beauty of what, what, you know, what she was saying. She's like, find a problem big enough. To solve it, and her hatred for exercise is big enough to have to figure out <laughs> a way around it. And she got the the right team to build her a flight suit that'll mm-hmm. take all that weight off her shoulders. Oh yeah, the exoskeleton. I mean, what soft ex ex exoskeleton shell? Exoskeleton. Ex. That was a hard <laughs> word to say. Exoskeleton. <laughs> yeah, like, say man. Well, you know what? We are totally rooting for her. We've learned so much from this story about just believing in yourself and going after the things that you want in life and always learning, always changing and staying curious. That's man. Stay curious. Stay curious. Stay curious. My friends, we'll catch you next time on the forever on the fly podcast. Don't forget like subscribe, you know, 
leave us a little message. We love to hear from you guys. I mean, it's like, you know, that's everything. That's what keeps us going. And anytime we get a positive comment or review on our on our uh, Apple podcast, it always brings a big smile to our face and it, it brightens up our day. So even just a private message of letting us know that you guys are enjoying the show. We always love to hear from you. Heck yeah. Well, thank you, everybody, and have a wonderful day. Bye.